We're on the air. Let's see how the broadcast gets from the studio to your home. I just want to hear the music, that's all. Is it too complicated to just keep my records in the category, okay? Just put the rock and roll in with the rock and roll. Put the R&B in with the R&B. I mean, you're not going to put Charlie Parker in with the rock and roll, would you? What does it all mean? I don't know. Who is Charlie Parker? Yes! Sounds Visual is a podcast featuring interviews and long-form conversations with DJs, crate diggers, record collectors, vinyl enthusiasts, beat makers, producers, and musicians. All right, welcome back to another episode of Sounds Visual Radio. My name is Justin. Thanks for tuning back in. My guest for this episode of How Deep Is Your Crate is Tare. Tare is a multi-instrumentalist, DJ, and producer based in San Diego. He decided to speak to us about one of his favorite albums by a band called Catalyst, a four-man jazz combo based in Philadelphia. They played a blend of avant-garde, contemporary bop, soul, and funk at the dawn of the big fusion explosion. The band's eponymous funk jazz debut released in 1971 on Cobblestone Records, is highly regarded as a fusion masterpiece. Many regard the set as being superior to better-known recordings from the era by Weather Report and Return to Forever. All right, let's talk to Tare about Catalyst's 1971 self-titled debut record. Hey there, my name's Tal Ray. Uh, I'm a DJ, producer, and multi-instrumentalist. Uh, I play woodwinds, piano, percussion, sintir, uh, Moroccan bass, and many others. Uh, I've been collecting records since I was 14 years old. Started with collecting local San Diego music that I uh, found and listened to live. Today, I'm gonna be talking about a record uh, by a band named Catalyst. And it's their debut album from 1972, released on Cobblestone Records. Uh, they're from Philadelphia, and their first record is phenomenal and definitely had a big impact in my life. Um, I was collecting records, like I said, when I was 14. Uh, when I was 19, I started discovering jazz records. And Catalyst, I found about six months after digging for my first jazz records, uh, which was pretty amazing because the name Catalyst uh, definitely was an improvement in my life. It was a catalyst for, for my music uh, path, my spiritual path. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, that first Catalyst record. When I first got that record, um, I put it on and the things that I heard really connected with me because what I was hearing in the music was uh, four musicians coming together as a collective with very improv, uh, open-mindedness with the music. Like you could tell they were playing together. 
they weren't, uh, you know, taking, they were each taking solos, but they were, they were still within the solos listening to each other. And I really liked the bondness, the connectedness of the artists and, and the music and how you could tell that they were like, they were brothers. They knew each other. And um, they were, that's what I really wanted when I play music is I want to connect with people and I want to go to this higher place uh, with each other. So the first song that I, that's on the album is uh, Ain't It The Truth. And that song is uh, really funky, um, soulful, almost like gospel, instrumental gospel music. Um, you could tell that, you know, straight out of the Philly, you know, it's definitely a Philadelphia sound. First thing that I noticed was the Fender Rhodes. And back then, when I was 19, 20 years old, I didn't have a Fender Rhodes at the time, but I really loved that sound and that really kind of hearing that and how funky it was, I had to have that instrument. And so very soon after that, I ended up buying a Fender Rhodes piano and started playing it. And this particular album was, I used to play back and forth from start to finish and I get on the roads and I jam to it and try to learn Eddie Green's solos and and the way he approached the instrument was really interesting because he would use the volume knobs to bring in swells and all kinds of really cool effects and stuff. And uh, he took approach to the piano that was different, whereas the piano is kind of like, you know, people don't play down on it, they play kind of across, you know, and his style with the Fender Rhodes was very funky where he like approached it from the top, it was very percussive. and. That particular track, Ain't It The Truth, has that kind of percussion, uh, piano, uh, funky um, vibe to it. And so getting this, the album start off with that is super cool because it really like gets you going, uplifts you. And then the second track is called East. And uh, Odeon Pope, the, the saxophonist in the group, um, which by the way, if I could mention all the members of the group themselves. So Odeon Pope was the saxophonist, oboist, tenor sax, flautist. Eddie Green played piano. Tyrone Brown played bass. Uh, they had Al Johnson on a couple tracks and Skip Drinkwater playing the poppy pod. Then Sherman Ferguson on the drums. So that second track, um, East, Odeon Pope plays the oboe. And the sound on that track is uh, very much like Eastern influence, uh, had some mysticism in it. The oboe makes it very uh, out of this world, mystical vibe, but it still had the Fender Rhodes and the very like jazzy nature of it. But the song was very open and almost like you're out in the vast desert and it's, you know, you're traveling out and it's, it has a very expansive sound. When I heard that second track, it blew me away because, you know, the first track had all this funky R&B stuff and the second track's like taking you on this journey. And I was like, this is the type of music that I like. You know, I like different timbres. I like things that, uh, 
different moods that, you know, different visualizations that you can get from the music. And I was hearing that from these four, these four guys. And uh, so that song really influenced me, which, you know, down the line, I ended up, you know, really getting into the oboe, uh, inspired by Yusuf Latif. And I heard this uh, love theme from Spartacus, which is a, a song that he plays oboe on. And so, you know, this album was very influential, a Catalyst album for me, opening up to hearing, you know, world music mixed in with jazz, you know, so that was exciting. And on the side two, there's a song called Jabali, which uh, is a really beautiful song that is a kaleidoscope of different movements. And on this track, they're really like, the band's really opening up, you know, they're really in flow. Uh, you can hear how, you know, the bass player does a slide into the keys. Like, you know, they're all listening to, to each other and like finishing each other's sentences. This song really influenced me in a way that like really listening to the other players and leaving space for them to find that groove. They basically, they came together and were able to create these really cool um, soundscapes on that track. Still with the uh, electric piano, the Fender Rhodes, all up in that. And uh, Al Johnson jumps on electric bass on that song and he really moves a lot. Uh, that song was a very big influence on me for when I, you know, formed a band back then. I wanted to have that kind of aspect where everyone was really listening, not really thinking too much about, oh, what note is going to be the next note and what's this? And really just hearing what, what is supposed to be heard on that. Another song off the album, uh, Newfound Truths was uh, a song that really, I ended up naming one of my early bands called New Found Truth because of that song. And that song was, it's basically, it's a groovy tune. It, it definitely has that sound of the early 70s and, you know, maybe how life was like, you know, it's it's got this very melodic uh, Fender Rhodes solo. They're just kind of bebopping along on this tune and it's like a really chill tune you can put on at any time of the day and i don't know it brings me uplifting feelings when i hear it and uh i've jammed to it many times yeah and newfound truth to me was basically what i was kind of discovering was you know i was finding these newfound truths myself you know i was doing a lot of reflective time back then of you know getting into spirituality and meditation and um, you know, finding my balance as, a, as an artist, as a musician, and, you know, trying to woodshed. And so this was an influence on me to think about that I was discovering, you know, music that was really inspiring me and I could almost see the future 
in my in myself of this is what I want to do. I want to play this music, you know. So Newfound Truth was a very significant song for me in that way. And the guy that wrote that was uh, helped produce the album, Skip Drinkwater, has produced a bunch of different albums, and he brings all these really interesting percussion to uh, this particular album, uh, using all like the poppy pod and, and different types of shakers and you know like like bendable saw sounds and all kinds of cool stuff. And I just really appreciate uh, interesting timbres that give you you know visual ideas. The last song on the album is a song by, it's called Salam, which, you know, is probably some of their influence. Maybe, I don't know, particularly know if they were Muslim or not, but that could have been, you know, at that time, a lot of African-American artists, jazz artists were um, converting to Islam and to uh, basically find a different path for them. This is, sounds like it could have been that influence it's a very pretty tune. It's it's he Odian Pope plays flute on it, and it's a beautiful song. Very like uh, I would definitely call this spiritual jazz, you know. Which you know that term in itself to me um, is very significant because I used to call it spiritual jazz back then, and I realized that there was like a style, you know, or like a what I call post culturing movement. I mean, there was spiritual jazz before that. You know, definitely. Um, like Yusuf Latif was doing that kind of stuff. Um, and basically the idea is that, you know, you're thinking of music, connecting with your spirit. Uh, it doesn't have to be a specific religion or anything. It's just the music itself has a certain quality to it that's a focus of being together to have a like mind and in spirit. But the post-Coltrane idea is that, you know, Col John Coltrane had a big, you know, he busted down doors with his saxophone playing, but also just his approach to the music that, you know, you got to open up your heart, open up your mind, and sometimes just, you know, play from the gut. And, and when you have a collective amount of people that do that, you can create all kinds of amazing things that you could never get to if you don't have that kind of mindset. And so a lot of music that came after he died was, in my opinion, post-Coltrane because of just the concept of, of that in itself, like really having more of an openness for the music. In 1999, uh, I was able to, I was going to San Diego State University studying music and there was these concerts they would have and Kenny Burrell came to play and I saw that his drummer was Sherman Ferguson from Catalyst. So I was really excited because I wanted to meet him and meet an original member because these guys were kind of, you know, mystical to me. People I didn't really see or around where I lived, you know, they're from the East Coast. And, I ended up getting to sit with him um, in between the concerts and got to talk to him and hang out with him. And he was just a super cool dude. And he, you know, told me what it was like and the vibe. And there was so much music going on in Philly. And he told me that, you know, it's a different uh, vibe there because, you know, 
jazz can be a type of music where you know people have to work hard to get really good at it and but there can be an arrogance to you know feeling like well i've you know i'm this good and you got to work on your thing you know which is important but um sherman really was like you know people supported each other it's like the person that's playing down the street and the person over here that's playing we would get together with them we get together with them we'd all kind of mix around and play together and like it was never really like a you know i'm better than you and this and that it's like people encourage each other to be better musicians be better selves be better artists and i was like that's what i want you know i don't really I'm not the type of person to judge other people and how, where they're at in their ability to play. The fact that anybody is willing to play music and that they love it and it find, gives them joy and they bring it to the world. I think any type of how good you are is great because that's what's important. Um, and that's what he was talking about. And I was like, wow, this is amazing that, you know, this music that I hear coming out of this album, and now I talk to the drummer in the group, and it really matches what my feeling is from the music and the intention behind it. And so that was really special to me. And then um, about two years later after that, I was helping out in San Diego at the World Beat Center, which is uh, a place that's been doing all types of world music, reggae, um, Afrobeat, in San Diego and doing concerts. Uh, one of the directors came to me and said, hey, you know, I have this interesting um, gig coming up uh, that I need your help with. And I think that you would be the perfect person because I remember you telling me about this Catalyst group and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, well, who is it? And it ended up being Odeon Pope, uh, the saxophone player from Catalyst. He had a, a band that was, he was playing with David Murray who also is a big player, like big influence on me on bass clarinet. And they were coming to San Diego. My job was to go pick them up at the airport and make sure they get taken care of in the hotel and bring them to the show and, you know, basically host them. And I was so excited because to meet, you know, him and how he influenced me so much on playing woodwinds, I was excited to pick him up and nervous too, of course. So I showed up at the airport and, you know, he came up, he was, looking slick and all black and he the whole band looked good and they were like they came up to me and they were like who's this guy you know and i'm just like this eager young guy that just wanted to tell them how excited i was to meet him and, and, and hear the music and how catalyst influenced me so we went we went to the van and uh, we're in the van driving to the hotel and uh i ended up pulling out my catalyst record and i showed it to him and uh the band they all, they were younger cats, so they all kind of laughed. They were like, look at you when you were a little younger dude, you know, and uh, in your cool bell-bottom pants and, you know, turtleneck. And he laughed and he, he was basically like, I can't believe you have that record. I didn't even know those were around. So that was really cool that, you know, he was able to see that record and realize that he did something significant that um, really had an effect on somebody way in the future. And he ended up playing the show and it was amazing. And uh, I got to wrap in his brain for a little bit and uh, learn a little bit more things about his path in life. So in full swing of things, yeah, this record definitely made a, an impact on me. The music on it is really phenomenal. And it's, and you can tell that these guys really love what they did and they and they were they were brothers from another you know they definitely connected 
years later, I'm still playing the woodwinds and the Fender Rhodes piano, and I still um, am loving on the music. Another interesting thing that it also, um, for me, was that this album was made in 1972 um, and on Cobblestone Records, and uh, which was also a really amazing label that gave me influences like Norman Connors is on that label and his Dance of Magic uh, you know, was Dark of Light were two albums that were significant in my, you know, growing up uh, in music and being inspired. I thought those were uh, beautiful, wondrous albums. And then of course the Grubb brothers, uh, Carl and Earl Grubbs, who are the visitors, who are cousins of John Coltrane came off of that record label too, which is so all very influential uh, people in my musical development early on. And like I said, 1972, still to this day, I, I feel like that's a, a magic era, magic time. They call it the age of the quickening, which is the quickening of consciousness. And that all, a lot of albums from that year have been a very big influence on me. And I've always kind of kept an eye out on uh, music and culture and film and all kinds of things that come from that time. Um, I, f I find it very mystical and an interesting uh, development in history. So uh, yeah, I that's pretty much, you know, the Catalyst album, um, their first album and the influence it's had on me as an artist and in my life. I'm grateful to have uh, found it when I did early on in my uh, development. For an archive of Sounds Visual Radio episodes, please visit our website at soundsvisualradio.com. You can find us on Instagram at soundsvisualmedia. You can find us on Facebook at soundsvisualpdx, or you can email us at soundsvisualradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.